0: welcome to to inspire and it's a great day to hear today and i am your host dennis postama and I'm so excited to be interviewing Leah Goldstein. Now, this is going to be hard to introduce because her accolades are so amazing, and they just keep going. But she was born in Canada. She's the daughter of a boxer. Leah won the—I can't pronounce it properly. batum weight—is that—is that batum weight—is that batum weight? Correct. Yes. batum weight. World kickboxing championship at age 17. Uh, it's, so anything I butcher, you can you can correct me on Leah. You <laughs> okay. became the Krav Maga Specialist, right? Is that how you say that? Krav Maga, yes. Yep, yeah, okay. You're close, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll get there. So okay. I, I became the first female elite, elite commando instructor, and special. And you were also on the Special Forces Unit. Um, let's see. You had a 10-year career as a professional cyclist in Europe and North America, and And then Leia went on to win the women's solo division, one of the world's most excruciating physical challenges. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. That's over three, that's 3,000 miles and it's 12 days, but you were the first woman to do that as well. Am I right? I'm the first woman to win overall. And it was done in,
1: yeah, in 11 days and uh, three hours. Yeah. So that's what the the story is.
0: (laughs) Okay. And so, I mean just amazing and that's all going to be in the magazine too so I can't uh, it would take a half hour to read all these accomplishments that you've done so congratulations and thank you Leah for being on our show we're very honored thank you for having me it's a pleasure to be here thank you very excited and and I just and the more I read about you the more I learn so I want to jump right in because I'm excited to learn more about you and I want our viewers to, to also learn as much as possible so you just made history as the first ever female to win the overall solo division in the world's most difficult 3,000 mile cycling race, the race across America. What does training look like for that kind of challenge?
1: Oh my! Well, I mean, for, for RAMP, race across America, I mean, it is the hardest endurance race in the world. So the process is not just me getting ready physically, but I also have a crew of nine people. So it's a one year logistical basically nightmare, right? I mean, you have to think about your your doctor and your kinesiologist, your massage therapist. You have to think of crew changes of conditions. I mean, you're going 3000 miles right across the country. So you have to be prepared for all challenges that can happen. And this year, I mean, it was also the lowest finishing percentage the race ever had because of the weather conditions. I mean, the temperatures in Fahrenheit, I believe it was about 110 to 115 Mm -hmm. through the desert. I mean, in Celsius, that's bloody hot. It's boiling point, it's 51 Celsius. Um, And it wasn't just through California, it was through Arizona. I mean, even through Colorado where it's normally, you know, quite nice temperatures. It was close to 100, you know, Fahrenheit. Um, So just dealing with those conditions made the race extremely challenging. And mind you, only three solos finished it this year because of that. So, I mean, like with Ram, you have to prepare for everything. So like I said, it's a one-year process of kind of thinking of everything that could happen during the race. So, I mean, it was not my first rodeo. I've done it before. So that was the biggest challenge of, you know, coming into race across America. And you never know what's going to happen, right? I mean, we didn't expect to win right but this year it was it was race of survival who can take the heat (laughs)
0: literally right yeah (laughs) that's excellent I love that yeah Uh, well what would you say is it was it more of a mental um Or physical battle to
1: oh, 100%. Any ultra endurance race, I mean, you can't really physically train for something because don't forget you have 12 days to finish it, right? So, in a 48 hour period, you're sleeping from zero to up to three hours to finish it in that time zone, right? You know, so I mean, it in any ultra endurance race, you got 30% physical and then the 70% mental, 100%. You know, I'll give you an example like, say, you and I went to a race and you were 100% fit and ready, but mentally you were kind of broken, but I'm not so fit, but mentally 100%, I can guarantee you, hands down, I'll beat you, right? You know, something like that. It's a matter of being able to push yourself beyond your limits and learning to be comfortable being uncomfortable, if that makes any sense.
0: Uh, No, that that absolutely makes, that makes perfect sense. And do you, do you do uh, a lot of mental, how, how do you, I mean, just from talking to you the few times that we have, do you do, a, what do you do to keep a mindset of such a like champion, like as far as keeping that mindset right versus uh, people who don't, you know, like you said, even though I may be, how do you, what is your regimen for that?
1: Well, I mean, for me, I try to replicate things that could happen during the race in my training, right? Because you don't want surprises to happen. So I try to train the same way that things could happen in the race. For example, like, you know, I live in Canada, so we can't always ride outside all the time. So, you know, sitting on a bike trainer, stationary trainer, staring at a white wall for 15 to 20 hours, and I don't use music or a phone, I don't look at my TV, no stimulation. So kind of putting yourself through torture, you know, so it's not so bad when real torture actually happens, right? training too and like you know in extreme heat like we did go down to borrego springs to kind of to climatize to the heat but unfortunately for us during that you know 10 days there was a cold spell kind of in the desert and it was like in the mid 80s or 90s which is it's cold for the desert i mean i got that at home you know so again it's trying to kind of put yourself and train yourself prior to any situation right is the best way and just being prepared for the worst right not don't you know expect it to happen but be prepared for it
0: yeah and I love the way that you say that because that's such a good point because my brother when he was in college he challenged me to do a 5k and um I never my brother and I have always been extremely competitive so I hadn't been running for a while but you know I'm like I ran on the treadmill the day before. I'm like, I'm going to check it out and see if I can do a 5K and and still compete with him because he was in college and in track at the time. And so I got on the treadmill, ran the 5K in like 23 minutes, no problem. Hadn't worked out in forever. But in the next day, I did the 5K running at the event. And I, and I couldn't keep up with him. And I, at the end, I ran through the finish line, ran over the edge and I puked and I did it in like 29 minutes. And he's like, what happened? I thought you did it, you know, and in and such, and yeah. like, I didn't train in conditions like this. I had it's air right. conditioning. I had the, you know, the old man, uh, treadmill where treadmill, it landed, yeah. bounces, you <laughs> exactly. know, and then I go out I haven't done real yeah. training in forever. Right. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Yeah. It's putting yourself in those elements for sure. Yeah. It's, it's night and day. Also mentally, knowing like when you know the course like sometimes you know if you can't always ride the course you drive the course so you have it in your head right so that's a huge advantage and anything that you do really right
0: yeah. that's yeah. such a good point and people yeah. need to take point of that one, no matter any of their training envisioning oh, that for sure <laughs> being in that so yeah um you're obviously an ultra endurance cyclist and uh but your life story doesn't start in cycling right it's, so it no. starts in world championship kickboxing and you were only 17 years old how how old how old were you actually when you started and what motivated you to do this? So you were a champion oh. at 17, right? So
1: well, I mean, I mean, I had challenges when I was a little kid. Um, you know, we came from the Middle East and my English wasn't very good. I spoke with the Lisp, I had a little bit of a learning disability, and then my left leg was growing at a faster rate than my right leg, it's bigger, um, it's stronger, and I can't bend it at the foot, right? So it's kind of stuck. Okay. So when you're different as a child, you get bullied. So I was bullied when I was a little kid, and I used to run, you know what I mean? And I didn't want to tell my parents or the teachers. So I, I remember turning on the television, looking for a show called Gilligan's Island. I don't know, people my age will know what yeah. I talking about, right? I know what
0: you're talking about.
1: <laughs> and as I'm flicking, I see this young Asian guy and it was Bruce Lee, right? And I go, damn, he's fighting like 10 people. I only have to fight off eight. So mm-hmm. that's kind of how it started. My mom got me into Taekwondo and I excelled very fast. because, As you mentioned, my father was a boxer. So he taught me boxing skills. But when you mix boxing and martial arts, get more of a kickboxer. That's right. kind of how the birth of kickboxing started it's just because by 12 years old I was a junior national champion didn't feel challenged anymore I remember walking into kind of skid row of, of the area that I lived in right in Vancouver on the east side went into this you know kick, old scummy kickboxing gym the the coach there he sees me and I have this big head because I'm a second degree black belt you know win all these and he puts me to a boxing ring and I've never done that kind of boxing before and I get the kick cracked out of me, (laughs) you know what I mean, they just beat me up, and then I was so angry, then he just said to me, he goes, you know, you take this serious, you listen to me, at 17 years old, I make you world champion, so that's when I was 13 years old, right, so then that's kind of how it all started, right, you know.
0: Wow, he just put that out there, and you just, and there's so many good lessons in there. Am I right? A, you got your butt kicked, which I think everybody needs to oh, have happened oh, yeah. at least once in life. Yeah, my
1: big head shrunk down to a little p.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I, I I always say I'm going to write a book someday and maybe you can help me with it. I, yeah. I'm going to write a book someday that everybody needs to get their butt kicked at least once. Oh, for I, sure. <laughs> I'm
1: not, and, not only kicked, but humiliated a little bit at the same time, right? Yeah, you know? yeah.
0: Yeah, so. <laughs> your your ego, your ego. The, the learning to be humble doesn't ha- hurt after that. So right, exactly. Um, but then putting that out there and then just having that goal, that's that's so awesome. Way that's that's cool that they set that and you just went for it. That's and now what? Now your your hands are lethal weapons, right? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I mean, now so don't mess with you. Maybe you could yeah. do. Maybe you could teach me a thing or two. So yeah. um, so right, if. Uh, If winning a world championship wasn't enough, you also were a member of the Israel elite commandos and anti-terrorism unit. Can you share with me what that experience is like compared to everything else that you do?
1: Well, I mean, in all honesty, I knew what I wanted to do when I was seven years old, right? I mean, the whole kickboxing thing was just a solution to a problem that I had at school that I kind of just escalated, right? Right. But I knew when I graduated that I would go back to the Middle East. And we also stayed really connected because all my family is in Israel, right? My Just my parents are here and one uncle in, in Canada. Um, so after I won the World Championships and I graduated, I went and I enlisted in the IDF, the Israel Defense Force. And then from there, I was placed into a special unit because they kind of do a huge selection, right? Um, okay. Because they they know everything about you, right? The intelligence of the military knows your background, you know what you're good at, what you're not good at. And they tested even further. So I was positioned in a base called Base 8, which was an instructional base for the commando, for Navy SEALs, for different um, high-level units all over the country. So I was one of their trainers, and I was the first female instructor to train the commando. And also went on certain assignments with them as well um during my period in the military
0: why well, can i ask where is this and what is this at what point in your life is this is this in between the kickboxing and the and the cycling is this part of it
1: yeah oh, this is yeah this is when i was early in 19 1920 okay. and during that time yeah and oh actually my. that's that's when i was introduced to the bike was during the military because you know we're also instructors or soldiers where we don't sit there with a clipboard and we watch everybody else do it. We go out in those, these trucks with soldiers, right? So we always have to be very fit. So one lieutenant there saw that I was always training and very strong because I could do the obstacles the same as, as the men could do. And he was a national champion in the sport of triathlon. So he introduced and he saw that I commuted to the military base on my bike. Right. OK. Because um, who had money for a car back, <laughs> you know, yeah, a bike I, or a moped. So I had a bike. Yeah. And so he yeah. So he just introduced me to the bike. And, you know, I mean, I was a good runner, but not a great runner but my bike the strength on the bike was is exceptional at that time and so that's kind of how it all started into duathlons because there was no pro cycling for women in Israel at that time now there is so I started doing duathlons and that's how kind of how I got hooked onto the bike
0: that is, it's, it's so amazing that, yeah. first of all, it worked out for you, the whole learning, <laughs> doing the bike instead of the moped.
1: Right. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, I great. had a
1: moped too, but you know, we only used it for further commutes. <laughs>
0: yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Who'd have known that you could ride 3,000 miles in, in one day, right? Yeah. Right. That, uh, that's awesome. That's, that's, there's so many good pieces for our viewers to learn from that and the mindset I just, I'm overwhelmed with the, the gratitude I have for how, how awesome your mindset is towards these things and, and the level, I just had a meeting about expectations, okay, Leah, and, and, and accountability. And it's so funny because I actually owe it to you. So we talked last week and, and, and talked for a little bit and I always have a Monday morning meeting. And I can just tell by talking to somebody of your caliber, the expectations you have on yourself and the accountability you you have for yourself and it just inspires me and it just and it just inspired me to inspire my team so it just i want you to know that that What how do you do that as far as your expectations for yourself and your accountability? How are you so self-sustained, sustaining as far as managing yourself in that way? Can I ask?
1: Well, I mean, I mean, I think when I choose something that I want to do, it's 110%, right? You Mm -hmm. know, like for a good example is I mean, my life lessons really started when I was kickboxing, right? I mean, I knew you know, good times and friends are gonna, you know, they're gonna be there forever, but unique and special opportunities won't. So I didn't party or drink or have friends or do you know good things. It was 110% of what I had to do, right? Because, you know, the sacrifices, you know, are worth the payoff at the end. And that's just lasering in and putting everything else on a shelf, right? You know, and I think that's the only recipe for success in anything that you do, right? It's, you know, you got to think about your commitment and not going off track, right? And also, you know, again, with failure, I mean, I can't tell you, I failed multiple times, but if you don't have the ability to fail, then your ability of succeeding will never happen, right? So, I mean, again, don't expect to fail, but be prepared for it and use it as a strength, right? Which I have. And I think it's an important part of just preparing yourself. And again, we talk about the mental mental part of it, right? Of the challenges, because a lot of times I think, you know, patterns are often repeated, right? You know, when you throw in the white towel, it's too easy to do it again and again and again right? But like pro cycling is a good example. I excelled in everything I did up until I was 19. I was, you know, a very good athlete. I always, you know, excelled very fast. Not that I didn't work hard. I worked extremely hard. But once I hit pro cycling, like in Israel, I was a big fish in a small pond. I come to North America and I'm a shrimp in an ocean. And I got my ass handed to me. I mean, I went into these cycling races and I would come in so last that I wouldn't even know where the finish was because everybody would leave. I'd see my car in an empty parking lot and you know, okay, this must be it, right? And mind you, and I had the Federation saying to me, I was 30 years old saying, you know what? You've missed the boat. You're too old. It'll never happen, you know? And so it took me eight years to finally prove I'll show them, right? You know what I mean? That yeah, I'll be on that boat. I'll be driving that boat of what <laughs> it takes, right? You know what I mean? And I mean, I had the best years as a pro cyclist. If you look at my career at the ages of 39, 40, 41, and 42. And that was after the 2005 crash, which, which was the mother of all crashes, you know, when I landed on my face at 80 kilometers an hour, right? Which again, they said career over, you know, everything is back down to the bottom of the pit. Right. So, I mean, sometimes it's a process. So don't just give yourself one year or two. It might take you five years, but the point is you have to make it to your finish line, no matter what it is and no matter how long it takes.
0: Yeah. And what, what advice would you give to somebody who like, after your crash, what advice would you give to somebody trying to get back up or somebody who's failed? What advice do you have to get back on there mentally? Are there any tricks that you've learned that helped you when you got, when you did that?
1: Oh, I mean, geez, I mean, if people saw how I looked, I mean, I had, I had broken probably every bone in my body, instant face. If I landed on my face so my, my lips were gone, mm-hmm. reconstruction everywhere. And I'm lying there bed bound. You know, and they said, you know, your ability to walk properly without a walker or a cane is questionable and racing is out of the question, right? But that's their, you know, that's not what my um, decision would be. My decision, my goal was that I don't care how long it takes and the kind of pain I'm going to go through, I'm going to walk again, I'm going to get back on that bike and I'm going to come back even stronger than I did the day before. And that's a mindset, right? Yeah. So every day I did something today that I couldn't do the day before and the only thing I could do at that time was contract my abs right but every day that's it only thing I could do I couldn't move couldn't move my legs arms you know could had headaches But you see the progression, right? You have these little baby steps, right? And that's what you have to focus on is the movement forward, right? And eventually you'll get to where you want to get to because a lot of things, most times you're going to hear things that you don't want to hear coming from the outside sources, right? You know, honestly, the only person that says, oh, you know, you'll come out of this was my mother, but it's hard. So you have to kind of rely on yourself and don't worry about what other people think. And I think that's what we're our weakness is getting validation from other people who gives a crap, right? There's yeah. a saying is it's none of your business, what other people think of you, right? It's what you think of yourself, Absolutely. right? Cause your biggest fan, your biggest support system is you, no one else. Yep. Right. So that's what you have to rely on. You know, you got somebody that's with you 110%, and that's you, right? No one else, right? So don't worry about what everyone else thinks. It doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Whether they're with you or not, you make the decision if you want to come to be wherever you want to be. You make the decision. If you want to do it, you'll do it.
0: And if you don't
1: do it, no one's to blame but you.
0: Yeah, (laughs) you know. Exactly. I love it. I love it because. All of the highest performers, if you talk to any of the highest performers, they have that exact mentality. It's you versus you. It's you versus your PR. It's you versus, that's the best performers. That's what they're worried about. They, they're they not, I don't care about this guy, this girl. I don't care what they're doing. I don't care what they say. Where Where is Leia at? What's she doing? And what can she accomplish? And that's looking in the mirror and knowing that you're your biggest competitor. You're your biggest fan. You're, it's all about, I love that. It's, it but it's the truth, though, right? It's simple yeah.
1: as that is because we're always looking for, oh, he said I couldn't do it, or she said I couldn't do it, right? Who gives a crap what they said? <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? It doesn't matter. It absolutely, I mean, it's, it matters how much, a lot, I think a lot of times is we're looking for the easy route, right? Nothing sure. is easy, right? When you look at people who've succeeded, you know, you hear the great story of where they are now and what they have, but what about their backstory? When it started way back when they were a seed, you know what I yeah. mean? And all the struggles and hardships and with almost every single person that's successful, go back deeper. That's the inspiration. Not that they're driving a Porsche or lives in a mansion or who cares about that. It's yeah. the journey to get there. What's the inspiration and the strength, right? And that's why a lot of times people who have succeeded, not just hand-me-downs like, you know, kids, for example, who get hand-me-downs from parents, right? I mean, if anything were to happen, they're screwed, right? But once you have hit rock bottom, you know how to get out of that. You have that experience, right? So starting from scratch and from the rawness, right, of succeeding is what makes purse and super powerful and you'll stay powerful that way right is learning from your mistakes and not worrying about anything else right know that you are your biggest pillar your biggest rock is you and it's no one else
0: and hustle hard enough to where you can make those mistakes and understand that I love it I say I'm I'm a 20-year overnight success right yeah (laughs) that's exactly that's the reality of anybody who has those things or is at that level they've all went through it and I don't think we talk about it enough and I want to point out one thing you mentioned too everything you do all you were talking about is you're always out of your comfort zone you're just not sitting back and I don't know I want to make sure everybody caught that you're always doing something to where you're out of your comfort zone and get to that next level when you were getting back in and that's that's what it's all about well, I mean, you have to learn to deal with that, right? I and mean, people like to be comfortable in a nice couch
1: chair or whatever, but sometimes, you know, Absolutely. you got to sit on a stone, right? <laughs> you know what I mean, it's not always going to be like that, right? Like I said, like I said earlier, you got to learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable sometimes, right? And that's what shows the grit and the strength of somebody, right? Is really, really be able to step out of that and also trying new things and discovering new things, right? You know, is what we grow as individuals. And again, it doesn't matter if you're 20 or 90 or whatever because if you sit there and wait for things to happen, nothing's going to happen. It's a matter right. of you moving up your butt and moving forward, right? You know, And not doesn't matter how many times you get knocked down. It's the, the the ability of getting back up again is what makes you powerful, right?
0: I Oh, I couldn't agree more. I We have so many more interviews we're going to do on some of these topics. I'll tell you that right now. Um, so now that you've won the overall solo division and race across America, what are your plans?
1: Well, I mean... I won the race but the the time wasn't great. I mean we were aiming for a 10 day finish, right? Okay. So That's going to be in the back burner, also learning of, you know, the mistakes that we did once again. So I'll be training for that in two years. Um, But I also have a documentary coming out that um, hopefully by the end or middle of next year, um, that's kind of on the go. And also um, a rewrite of the book to update it and then to just, you know, add more things that have have happened um, and just to improve it. So a couple of things on the go right now. And I'm also with the Canada Speaking Bureau, so I do presentations in the off-season, you know, to different sports groups and business groups, you know, youth. I've been with a, um, the high-risk youth for, I think, almost 10 years now. So there's a lot of little projects here and there.
0: <laughs> yeah, bu- busy, busy, busy. I understand that. And so you're going to continue to race, right? Are you oh, yeah. Absolutely. yeah. I'll race
1: till so I'm nine-day thing.
0: <laughs> I love it. I lo- do you, yeah. So do you have business plans after you race or while you're racing? Any other well, plans besides speaking and anything else in the in the works?
1: Um, well, I mean, I, I mean, my real money comes from real estate. Right. You know, I started that when I was way back when. Right. But right now, I think the the, the documentary is is the big one right now. And actually, we have um, I have a, a production company who has the rights of the book for six months. They want to try to call a shop deal right now okay. to, you know, to sell to production companies. But it's kind of on the side there. So, yeah, I mean, I think the documentary and the new and the release of the new book is the biggest project right now.
0: And so that's your memoir, right? And that's correct. called No Limits, correct? Correct. Yes. Okay. And um, t- tell us a little bit about what No Limits is about, if you can. Are you allowed to do that?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's funny when I came back from the Middle East to um, to the United States, actually, to, or to Canada. When I was racing in the United States, you know, I didn't tell a lot of people about my background, and then when they heard about what I did in Israel and all that kind of stuff. They said, oh, it'd be super cool if you wrote a book. And I said, I'd never do that in a million years and also the security risk because people that I worked with were still working at the time. So I didn't think it was a good time you know to do it and then i started to speak right and i think um just hearing some of the stories really inspired a lot of people and and they constantly were edging up like, you should write a book you should write a book so i finally gave in right and it took me like 10 years to write it just finding the right person um so it's basically just the story of my life and the struggles that i've gone through and also my parents you know um, my mom escaping communism china my father's parents escaping the, the holocaust so it's basically everything um, put into this little book that you know I, I'm sure many people will enjoy
0: yeah. yeah Wow and that's I can't I can't wait to read it I haven't read it yet but I will I promise you that and and Thanks. that's gonna be <laughs> it's the cool thing about the the real stories and the behind that I love that you're everything you're so authentic and and hearing what you do and seeing it's just a role model. I I bet I would love to be able to bottle up our conversations and take them to high schoolers and to teach athletes, uh, especially nowadays, you know, it's it's such a different world where athletes, what what advice would you give to young people? Being in kickboxing at a young age, what advice would you give to people now, and, and, and a, a young version of, of a child that you already, you had those things laid out in your mind properly somehow, How would you give advice to somebody young that's an athlete like that now?
1: I mean, I think too, uh, talking about, um, it's funny, I had a conversation too with another coach is that, you know, we give so many medals and we praise kids and we want them to feel great and stuff, right? You know, when I was kickboxing, my kickboxing coach, he never, ever complimented me or told me the things that I'm good at or wanted to blow my head. I know the things that I was good at. He always focused on the things that I needed to improve at. You know what I mean? And try and perfect it. Even when I won the world championship, clearly unanimous decision, he said to me, you could have done better right? You know what I mean? And not to take that as an insult, but as some, you know, somebody as a compliment, because you know that you have that much talent. So I think too, with kids, it's not always like, you know, be, be straight up with them, Go, you know what, that sucked. you can do better than that. And I think we're so afraid to hurt people's feelings, especially kids, right? But sometimes you got to have that toughness, right? You know what I mean? I'm not saying abuse, right? But to be brutally honest too. And same with kids who are trying for a sports that just, you know, they can't succeed. You got to read my book about talking about kids <laughs> that I can't succeed I mean doctors told my mom and dad that I'd never be an athlete just because of my you know the inequality with my legs and the disability with my left leg that it would never happen that maybe it may be swimming maybe right and I hate swimming right? yeah <laughs> you know yeah. so this is what I'm saying with hard work determination and mindset I mean you can make anything happen no matter what anyone says you know even that swimmer there's one Canadian swimmer her her coach, she would just won the Olympic medal. That's right. I can't remember her name. You know, you know, she had said to her, you're, you'll never be a great swimmer. And here she is, you know, one of the Canada's most decorated swimmers, you know, with the Olympic medals, you know, so there you go right there. So as, as we were saying earlier, it's just like, was, is if you want it bad enough and how much are you willing to sacrifice and yeah. how much are you willing to work? Right. You know what I mean? Cause again, those sacrifices are worth the payoff at the end.
0: And turning that turning that, um, not that non-validation, those people telling, you know, that you can't do it, turning that and using that energy in the right way can drive you. I mean, I know that's a personal one for me. And it sounds like for you, that's a personal one. Every time I have surgery or anything and doctors like, well, you can't work out for how long. I'm like, uh, that's when I want to work out the most. Yeah. That's when it, 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 <laughs> something in my mind that just clicks. It's like, oh no.
1: <laughs> of course. Yeah. I mean, what's the best thing you can do when somebody says that you can't do it?
0: It's succeeding
1: is showing them you know well, i'll show you what exactly what i can't do right yeah. and don't waste your breath with bark all oh, this whatever don't say anything just do it and prove that you can do it right you know yeah. like too when i was prior to the world championship um i had a little mishap in the gym where a guy had you know we he kind of got into a cl- clench like this whatever and he fell on me and snapped my back and my disc i had a degenerated disc and you know this was i think i was 15 or almost 16 and they said career over Right. You know, at that point, you know, went to physios and they said, it's, you'll never, you know, you'll never kickbox again. This there's another example right there. I mean, I could, I could write a book on all of time.
0: Absolutely. You know, somebody said
1: I couldn't do something. Right. But I remember walking and re, you know, rehabilitating myself, whatever, mentally and physically. And, you know, two years later, I'm, I won the world championships. Right. You know, and this is when I was 15, 16 years old. So when, you know, you have these professionals saying, you know, career over, right. Your life will never be the same again for most people, they'll accept it. And if I did take that in, I probably wouldn't have done half the things that I've done. Right. But I learned that, you know, I don't care what anyone else says. It's what I want. That's that counts. Right. And I'll show somebody what exactly what I can't do, you know,
0: and you always, it sounds like you're, it's such a good example too, letting your walking, do the talking. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Instead Instead of talking first. And like you said, giving that bark, let yeah. you walk and do the talking. Yeah. There's exactly. no it's not better. the
1: bark, it's the bite, right? That's
0: exactly, there's no <laughs> bite, it's like uh, revenge is a dish best served cold, It's exactly. just let, let you walk and do the talking, yeah. I love it. Yeah,
1: because um, a lot of times, I mean, we, you know, we move our mouths, but we're not saying anything, we're just making noise, yeah. zip it, and just do it, right, you know? Absolutely,
0: <laughs> I love it so much, so how, uh, first of all, I hope that uh, everybody's excited, excited as I am. I plan on having you on Motivation Success TV and To Inspire TV on all sorts of different shows so we can get as much of you as possible, Leah. Um, tell tell uh, tell us how we get a hold of you to get you to speak and how to how to get in contact with you. Where do we check you out at?
1: Uh, probably the best is my the website is leahgoldstein.com that you can, you know, send us messages and connect with Penny, Penny, who's my media manager and the best way to, to connect with me and see what's going on.
0: Well thank you so much for inspiring us today. It has been amazing. I appreciate it so much. I appreciate your energy and your your, your teaching the things that you teach us. It's so amazing. Thank you so Thank you much.
1: so much I appreciate it. it was fun. Thank yeah. you Dennis. Yeah. thank
0: you and thank you everybody for watching and uh, look out for the magazine and from me and Leah we just want you all to live to inspire.